Traveling Fort Lauderdale by boat is sort of a maze, compiled of twisting and turning rivers that flow in and out of suburban streets and urban pathways. To the east, via the Stranahan River, is the vast Atlantic Ocean. To the north is a series of rivers and canals that extend all the way to West Palm Beach. To the west, however, is a string of estuaries that dip through neighborhoods or underground, weaving through man-made structures. The Everglades themselves are just a few miles away and their complicated tributaries and aquatic systems are often not visible to the naked eye. They don't move in a way that make obvious sense. So some of the water goes to the Gulf, and some of it goes to the Atlantic, and some of it goes through the abundant canals of Fort Lauderdale. One river, nestled in the middle of the city, was called Himarshi by the Seminoles, a word that translated to English means new water. Legend has it that some Seminole hunters were resting along the rivers of Fort Lauderdale when a sudden tremor struck the ground near them. What was later realized to be an earthquake terrified the hunters who had never experienced the phenomenon before. The following morning, quote, their fear turned to wonder when they looked out and saw a mighty river flowing where before there had been land, end quote. The ground fell open overnight, and the Himarshi was left in its wake. It had been an underground outflow of the Everglades running through coral where the swampy water met the sea. Who knows how long the canal was buried deep amongst the coral and sand of the peninsula. The Seminole hunters were the first to see something with human eyes that had never been seen before. The Everglades still holds many secrets, and the earthquake that day was just one more. In the grand scale of history, our knowledge of the Everglades is extremely young. The written knowledge of the ecosystem is still blooming and growing, and biologists, ecologists, geologists, and more are still digging through the muck for answers and ways to keep it safe. But a hundred years ago, when Europeans were still new to the swamps, the Everglades and its outlets were more than just Florida nature at its finest. It was also a haven for something much more sinister. My name is Nick D'Alessandro, and this is Wait 5 Minutes, a podcast about Florida by a Floridian. This week, the hidden pathways of the Everglades and the creative criminals that used its intricate waterways to escape justice. The Everglades as a body of water is much, much larger than we realize. It's about 100 miles long and 60 miles wide, an area of land larger than Washington, D.C., and that's just the swamp at the tip of the state. It stretches 200 miles north through Lake Okeechobee, up the Kissimmee River, through Lake Tohopakaliga, all the way up to a meager little river that sneaks under a highway in South Orlando called Shingle Creek. It was once a little settlement in an area of central Florida that had meager populations up to that point. Named for the shingle farming that took place along the creek's shores, the river is officially called the Headwaters of the Everglades. It's sleepy and quiet, hidden in the suburban highways of Kissimmee. Nothing illicit has ever slipped along the shores of Shingle Creek in the northern origins of our Everglades. But a hundred years ago, the U.S. government ratified the 18th Amendment, making the purchase or sale of alcoholic beverages illegal. What was meant to bring peace to a country recovering from the First World War actually led to some of the most deadly civilian activity in American history. 
Across the country, gangs sprouted up and illicit operations worked in the shadows, keeping alcohol present in the lives of Americans able to afford it or willing to risk their neck. Florida was still growing along the corridors that had been built by the industrialists of the late 19th century. Miami was a bustling city with little outside influence and prohibition didn't hit all at once. When it did, it didn't come in the form of failures or setbacks. Rather, Miami, the city at the edge of the country, became the ideal spot for criminals to set their plans into motion. Vacationers headed to Miami in the 20s weren't just coming for our sights, they were coming for our ample opportunities for booze. We received the nickname, the Bootlegger's Paradise. We had loads of visitors, limited connection to the rest of the country, and the perfect hiding spot just a few miles away. Under the cover of night, rum runners and bootleggers snuck in and out of the Everglades via the New River. The earthquake a century previous that only the Seminoles witnessed had exposed the ideal escape path for the criminals and mobsters of Miami. Boats along the canals of Miami and Fort Lauderdale would lure in visitors with floating enterprises loaded with alcohol and opportunities to gamble. When a police officer or Coast Guard boat would spot them, their engines would rumble to life and they'd rip through the westbound waterways, fading into the thick sawgrass of the Everglades. One of the most notorious gangsters of this era made special use of this method several times. Al Capone was based out of Chicago and did much of his work there, but he fell in love with Florida in the late 20s as the FBI's noose started to close in on him. He bought a home in Miami for what is now almost $15 million. On Valentine's Day in 1929, Capone's gang killed seven rival gang members, but Capone himself was in Miami. Historians believe that Capone's business ventures extended out of Miami and into the Everglades, where a hidden moonshine operation waited amongst the palms. Today, it is called Lost City, and the stories attached to it abound. It sits a few miles south of Alligator Alley, deep in the swamps. Folklore can't help but attach itself to locations like this, and the theories range from mundane to outrageous. One theory states that it was a historic battleground between Confederate soldiers and Seminole warriors, though I doubt the Confederates made it that deep into this area. Another theory supposes that our friend the Skunk Ape lives in the abandoned and overgrown ruins. Whatever the spot was before, or is today, does not negate the purpose it served in the 30s. Many researchers believe that this building was home to Al Capone's moonshine operation, where he would create the pungent drink and ship it to a saloon that he owned in the area. Just as Capone and other mobsters would disappear amongst the weeds, the ruins of Lost City fade into the green as well, lost in the vast expanse of water and grass that keep all of the Everglades secrets. As the 20s became the 30s and the city grew more tense, Prohibition's place in the country was starting to reach a breaking point. Violence around the city in the past decade had brought fear to citizens as shootouts from boat to boat became more and more common. On April 7, 1932, a crew of agents raided a restaurant searching for illegal alcohol. Outraged citizens, sick of the environment of hostility that was swarming the city, crowded around a cop car, slashed the tires, and almost flipped it on its head. By December of 1933, Capone was serving an 11-year sentence in federal prison, and Prohibition was repealed. After 13 years, it was over. Miami still bears the scars to this day, and the 50s and the 80s saw more and more drug violence swarming along its shores. The Everglades, 
are the heart and soul of our state, for better or worse. In our finest moments, it is indicative of our diversity and history and natural splendor, but when the rivers burst forth from beneath the Earth's surface and lost ruins appear in the muck, humanity's darkest impulses see these as opportunities, cracks in society where we can slip through and leave rum, moonshine, and violence in our wake. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wait 5 Minutes, the final mini episode of the month of August. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review below. It really helps a little show like this one grow. You can also share the episode with your friends via social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WFMPod. You can send me an email at WFMPod at gmail.com. All the links for those are in the description below. Be sure that you are subscribed and don't miss the premiere of Season 2, two weeks from today on Monday, September 9th. I've been cooking up a really unbelievable season for you with stories you'll have to hear to believe. I've got stories about abandoned theme parks, pioneer towns, miniature bats, community organized protests, an old-fashioned murder mystery, and even a taxidermied swan. Those will be dropping weekly starting in two weeks on September 9th. Until then, I'm Nick D'Alessandro. Take care of yourself.